Hey guys, welcome to another exciting episode of Drunk Gossip. I'm coming to you live from the Drunk Gossip Studios here in Coolish, New York City. Um, so one of the things that I always get asked is, why do I tell you where I'm at? And the truth is, I kind of treat this podcast like I'm on a TV show. And... Um, part of that is because I want to be on a TV show. Um, and uh, there we've talked, but nothing has really sprung to my mind. But there has been talk about um, evolving Drunk Gossip into a weekly YouTube series. Um, I don't know if, if that'll ever happen or not, but th- there has been talk. Um, and I also wanted to say that I, I'm not quite sure what I have to... Um, talk with her, um, but movie guru, November O'Malley, um, is set to join us for an episode where we talk all about movie history and uh, what works and what doesn't. And that is the perfect segue into talking about Solo. Um, Solo is a new Star Wars movie, which opened this past weekend, and it is I, I haven't seen the movie itself, but the money the money part of this is dismal. Um for the last suspense I've seen, um, and I get all this information from Deadline Hollywood, um and and, and variety. Um but the last estimates I saw had the three day weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, at eighty four point three million and the four-day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, at, um, at an estimated $103 million. Now, I, I can already hear you guys rolling your eyes, and, and rightfully so, because that is a lot of money. No matter how you slice that pie, that a movie opening to 84 or $100 million is a lot of money. The problem is... These movies cost a hell of a lot of money. And when I say this, I'm not being facetious. I'm not being um, my usual sassy self. Um, this Solo, I don't have the exact numbers, um, but it could have cost upwards of $150 million easy. So, yes, it will be profitable, but it's not going to make the kind of profit of the Avengers or Deadpool or, um, even, um, uh, if November was here, she'd be able to tell me, um, The Last Jedi, I believe it's called. So, you know, so what's the problem? The problem here is what they wanted to do is they wanted to launch a whole new series of Star Wars movies, where each character kind of got their own individual movies. Um, so Solo would have, Han Solo would have his own set, um, Princess Leia, so on and so forth. I, I think the Princess Leia ones would be a little bit harder to do since our beloved Carrie Fisher passed on, but, you know, it, it's still possible that, um, they could do it, especially since I believe... Billy Lord, um, Carrie Fisher's daughter, is in the Star Wars universe. Um, so what does this low opening mean? It could mean nothing. It could, um, 
Disney and Lucasfilms could just take a step back and reconsider their strategy. Um, there's a lot of think pieces being written right now about why this failed and, you know, everyone has a different opinion. But I think the the best one that I've read um, came from a distributor himself. Or not a distributor, a, th- a theater owner. Where he kind of pointed out, you know, we had Avengers um, like three weeks ago. We had Deadpool two weeks ago. Um, there's just not that much money going around. You know, and, and to just put these blockbusters back to back, you're kind of killing off your franchise um, by doing that. And the other thing is, is Star, the Star Wars movies seem to do very, very well when they're in December and they're the lone tentpole. When they actually have to compete, they seem to falter a little bit. Um, you know, pe- the people who have seen it do seem to love it, so it, there's a good chance that it'll have legs, meaning that um, opening weekend... Um, may not be the last we hear about this movie. Um, it could stay in theaters for weeks and weeks. Black Panther is an example of this, where Black Panther is still in theaters. And um, from what I've read, Disney's just, you know, they're holding on to the theaters for Black Panther for as long as possible, trying to get it over 300, domestic, 300 million domestic. We will see what happens. I will be right back. Okay, I'm back. Um, I realized I didn't tell you what I was drinking. Um, I'm drinking mojitos because mojitos. Um, just a little before I move on to the next topic. Um, I used to sell um, Cocoa Exchange chocolate, um, which is a subsidiary of Dove. And they had this really cool martini mixer. So I was like, it was chocolate. And y'all know how I love my chocolate. So I was like, well, you know, I also love chocolate mint. So I wonder how it would work in mojitos. It does not work. Don't try it. Don't try it, kids. Um, or you can try it, but just know that it may not taste the best. And... Um... Let's just, uh, talking, speaking of things that don't really work, Arrest Development is dropping, uh, tomorrow, the, the fifth season, um, the, the cast of the show is, are very busy, um, Jessica Walters, or Walter, rather, is on Archer, um, Jeffrey Tambor was fired from... Transparent, we've talked about that ad nauseum. Um, Jason Bateman has another Netflix show, plus he's in a bunch of movies. Uh, Michael Sarah um, has a bunch of movies lined up, I believe. I mean, this this is just a show that, um, even though it didn't really hit the um, hit the ratings, it really hit the zeitgeist in a very very prominent way. Um, and the reviews are coming out for it, and the reviews are terrible. Um, and it, it makes one wonder, like, is it the recent controversy of um, Jessica Walter talking about how Jeffrey Tambor screamed at her and, you know, belittled her and whatnot, 
and how Jason Bateman and David Cross tried to mansplain and say it was just part of the creative process? Or was this just a really ill-conceived addition to a sitcom that should have just been cancelled and left cancelled back in the early 2000s? Um, Some of the things... um, some of the reviews, especially, um, I'm going to be quoting very heavily from the TV Line review, where it, it's, it relies on the old hits. Um, and what I mean by that is the old bits, the old, um, the old punchlines, they, they really rely on those very heavily to generate some sort of laugh. Um... And, and according to that reviewer, it, it does start getting rather fun in Arrested Development, Arrested Development-y again, um, like four episodes in, but when there's only, I believe, six or seven episodes dropping, that's not that great. And, you know, I know what Netflix is doing. Um, for those of you that don't know, um, I'm going to explain this to you. Basically, um, the primetime Emmys have this rule where um, you have to have only episodes that premiere before a certain date. I believe it's um, I believe it's in June, but it might be um, the end of May. Um, are eligible. That's why we're getting uh, the first half of the um, of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt May thirtieth, and I think they thought well. You know, let's just stack the deck and try to see if we can win over some of these coveted spots in the Emmys. And I think what it, what ended up happening is just a huge creative misfire that is now being bogged down in a controversy that really didn't need to happen. If Netflix, if um, producers had taken Jeffrey Chambord to the side and said, hey... You don't talk to your coworker like that. She has been around just as long as you have. She's a class act. You know, let's let's just talk about this. And if her co-stars hadn't been such dicks, and if they would have just said, you know what, we feel you, we get it, we're sorry. Um, I, I don't think that the negativity would have been as as intense. I'll be right back. Okay. So I'm back, um, and as you guys know, I'm single, and I'm trying to date, well, I was trying to get Sally Fields on to fall in love with me, but alas, and then Scott Evans, who I follow on Insta, is just so damn adorable, but I think he might actually have a boyfriend, and that makes me really sad, because what's a gay to do? Like, like someone in real life? I tried that, and he ghosted me. Um, I, and I don't want to say he ghosted me on purpose. I He's very busy, but... And if he's listening, you know my number. You can reach out to me anytime before I move on with, with one of these celebrities who maybe listen to this podcast and really love me. Um, and speaking of... 
<coughs> I know, guys. I'm sorry. I'm not battling a cold this time. The mojito went down the wrong pipe. Plus, coughing is the signature of this podcast for some reason, so let's just go with it. Um, so, last Friday we talked about Nicki Minaj and Eminem maybe dating, but I thought it was a publicity stunt. And then Eminem actually kind of stepped into the whole thing. And instead of throwing cold water on it and, you know, he kind of encouraged it. And was like, yeah, man. And, like, him and Nikki had this really cute exchange um, where she, like, she was very coy. And she was like, I thought we were keeping it on the DL until our wedding. Yada, yada, yada. So, um, and then we had a concert in Boston. And it was like, how many of you all want me to date Nikki? And the crowd went wild. And he's like, well, yeah, me too. So let's make this happen. Like, you all need to let her know. So I, I don't know, quite know how this got on Twitter. But everything does. And so Nikki saw it. And she was like, oh, silly and a goof just like me. You know, blah, blah, blah. And then she's like, our first date will be in the studio. You need to be on the Queen's album. And I'll be staring into your eyes as you write your verse. And I'm just like... For someone who is so pessimistic and, you know, just really sure that this was all a publicity stunt. And and it still might be. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not completely losing my mind or going all romantic on you guys. Although, this might be the setup for my next novel. Um, I do. I, I really think that there's some sort of really cute chemistry there. Even, you know, again, the, there are gay rumors about M that I've heard. Um, not necessarily in the mainstream or gossip blogs. Mainstream media or gossip blogs. Um, but that I heard on the street of Detroit, where I grew up. Um, but even if he is gay, there's no way he's coming out publicly. Um, and so even if they're a bearding relationship, I mean, they're, I would have to guess that they're really friends because you don't play with people you don't know like that, or at least that you haven't had some sort of interaction with. Um, apparently, um, a couple of you emailed me to let me know that, um, Eminem is, was on Roman's Revenge, um, which was on her first CD, on Nikki's first CD. So they they could possibly actually know one another, and it would make sense that they would be friends because I think they have, you know, they're they are both very silly. They're very, um, adorable. I'm sorry. They're I I'm sure Eminem could be listening to this and just like writing some slam verse against me for calling him adorable. I I'm very sorry, Marshall, but you guys are adorable. You're a goof. And, you know, the best thing, and I think the reason why Eminem and Nicki Minaj have careers now, um, long-lasting careers, I should say, is because they actually take enjoyment in their job. It's just like me. I love writing, you know. Sometimes I get irritated with my day job, even though it's a writing job. But at the end of the day, that day job allows me to work on my novels. It allows me to do this podcast, which I love. It's going to allow me to launch my blogs and hopefully end up 
um, moving away from the day job completely into a, a more of a publishing situation where all my money comes from that. But honestly, ultimately, you know, if you love what you do, it really shines through in your work, and it like in their work, it really shines through. And I think them working together would just be so epic. Please make this happen. I'll be right back. Okay, so there's been a lot of sad news um, this week about migrant children being um, ripped away from their parents and. Um, you know, just my Facebook feed is just filled with this sort of stuff, and it's it's very disheartening, and we're not going to talk about it here, because this isn't the, I don't believe that this is the place, um, and I believe that's one of the problems that I had with Generation Gossip, is I kind of veered, um, too into the politics of it all. You know, if there's a pop culture story or whatever, then yes, I'll cover it, but I don't want this to become, um, a place where... This or the or the blog or the um, the potential vlog. I don't want any of that to become. Um, I don't want these to be places where politics reign. Um, but I bring it up because um, if you've ever watched The Americans, um, it's actually um, it was actually inspired by a true story. Um, I, I deadline has a story. I, I cannot remember the their actual names. But there were two Russian spies that were living in North America um, and sending information back to the Kremlin. Well, basically, the the spy ring got busted and um, the, the parents, there was a mother and a father and two kids. The parents were arrested and sent back to Russia. Well, the boys were allowed to stay, their sons were allowed to stay in Canada. But now that's in question because now their citizenship is like, well, your parents were here illegally. You know, that that's really putting a strain on. Um, and, and for anyone who's watched The Americans, you know that's um, maybe not the whole um, getting busted thing, but that has been like the... The basis for, for the show, um, two Russian spies living in America, um, speaking perfect English. They have two kids, yada yada yada. Um, and with the Americans coming to an end this week, um, it really seems like that's why we're talking about um, the real life sons now being um, possibly facing deportation. Um, for their parents' mistakes. Uh, I have no idea if their parents are still alive or not. Um, and I believe the boys, or the men, I should say, are they're in their 20s, maybe even in their 30s at this point. So, um, it, it's amazing to me. Like, as a writer, I get inspired by things all the time. Um, you know, by my own real life, um, there's a couple of my characters have actually sprung from historical figures. Um, I really want to do... Uh, it, kind of in the vein of Warpaint, if anyone saw that musical, um, with Patti Lapone and Christine Ebersole. Um, but I want to do something with Hedda Hopper and Louise, Par- um, Louise Parsons. 
bitter rivals, just wonderful, wonderful stuff there. Um, I, you know, I'm reading everything I can about it right now, and it, it, it kind of like, I, I look at some things now, and I'm like, oh, um, like I just found out that there's an actual book that Hamilton was based on, um, Lin Manuel Miranda had really wanted to. Um, he he was really into history. He really wanted to do something about Alexander Hamilton, but couldn't crack the story. And he read, um, I can't think of the actual title right now. Forgive me. Um, but you can go into Barnes and Noble, and there, it's plastered all over. Um, there'll be big stickers that says "Inspired the hit musical Hamilton." Um, and so he read this book. And, and kind of figured it out. And, and watched... As his creation became one of the biggest musicals in Broadway history. Um, and even though The Americans... Isn't one of the biggest TV shows in, in history. I think it will go down... As one of the most acclaimed. It, every season. Unlike Arrested Development. Every season... The story has gotten deeper and richer, and the critics loved it more and more. Um, it wasn't until last year, though, that they actually were nominated for an Emmy. No one quite knows why. Um, I think a lot of people are right now chalking it up to it not being one of those buzzy shows that captures the attention. Um, whatever happens to those boys, I really hope that they're taken care of. Um, I don't. I don't blame them for their parents' mistakes, and I don't think anyone else should either. I will be right back. Alright, I am back for the final segment of the show today. Um, and, you know, all episode I've kind of been using real-life examples and, and thoughts and whatever to bring home whatever point I'm trying to make. So, I actually just wanted to talk um about myself for a minute. Um, my first full-length novel, uh, The Shape of Love, is going to be out on Tuesday, June 5th, um, in honor of Pride Month. Uh, it's a romance, and it's my first, not my first time attempting to be self-published, because I've, I've done it before with a couple of short stories. Um, but it is... Um, it's one of those projects where I'm really proud of it. Um, unfortunately, I don't have enough money to advertise it the way I, I really should. But I'm really hoping that people discover it. I'm going to be out promoting it. I'm going to be talking about it um, on the blog um, or on, on, the, on this podcast for a couple and hopefully do a podcast tour where I talk about it. Um... And, you know, um, there's been a lot of talk, and I've been doing a lot of talking lately with other fellow writers. Um, last night I had a really great conversation with this, um, admittedly cute guy. Um, and we, we, we kind of compared notes on traditional versus self-publishing. Um, I've, I've taken a couple of webinars. Sorry, November. Um on this and here are, here are a couple things that I have to say about 
um, traditional for, versus self-publishing. Um, it's every writer's dream to get big, to get picked up by the big five. I don't care if you're hell-bent on um, self-publishing no matter what. If, if Random House or Penguin or one of the other ones came to you and said, Hey, we're going to offer you a six-book deal like they did Lisa Scavellini, you're going to take it. Because that's just too good to pass up. But the likelihood of that happening is very low. Um, but, you know, there are still some traditional publishers who will publish you. And I just have to say, um, you know, I, I've worked and talked with some of the biggest and best names in in publishing. Um, when I say worked with, you know, I mean, I've learned from them. I've talked to them. And I just don't think the traditional publishing is right for me. Here's why. Traditional publishing used to pay for the marketing of your book. They used to send you on a book tour um, and, and hopes that it would launch big and they could recoup their costs. Um, but belt tightening and whatever have taken away, um, taken effect. And now they want you to market the book. They want you to pay for all the marketing. Um, you know, yes, they have editors and... But really, you have no control over anything. You actually have to submit where you're going to spend your marketing dollars to them for their approval. Here's why that's a problem. So, and in, in the case of Amazon, you have a 70-30 split in your favor. With a traditional publisher, it's um, the best deal I've seen is 75-25 in their favor. So, let's just look at this logically here. You're spending five, $500 to $1,000 easy a month. You're not getting an advance. So, this is coming out of your pocket. You have to work, or your spouse, or whomever. Someone has to give you the money to pay for this. So, you're spending your money to make them money. That doesn't work for me. You know, there are certain cases like Anthony Weir, who wrote The Martian, um, um, or E.L. James, who wrote Fifty Shades of Grey, where they self-published and they sold a ton of copies and then they ended up going traditional. And that's fine, because then that gives them more power. They have the sales to prove themselves. But the, the big issue here with me is, it, it all comes down to money. I don't mind spending the money to have my book edited. Thanks, Wesley. I don't mind spending the money to market my book. You know, I don't even mind um, paying cover designers. Thank you, November. Um, to help with my book launch. Um, but what I do mind is someone telling me that I have to do all of this and... They have to approve everything I do. That's where my issue comes from. That's where my attitude with traditional publishing comes from. Um, you know, I had I was talking to a traditional publisher at a um, at a like a little mini conference, and I you know I'm hard at work. I'm finishing up the first companion book to this to the podcast, and you know I said I. That I was getting ready to just send this off to the editor. 
And they're like, oh, you know, let us let us see your sample. So I, I showed them the outline, and they loved it. And they said, okay, well, you know, I can offer you a contract, but we have to own the rights to the name Drunk Gossip. Um, you, you would have to record um, X amount of episodes. You'd have to get approval for all the segments. I don't... That's too much for me, because part of the reason why this this podcast has taken off the way it has is because I do everything off the cuff. I decide, oh, I want to record an episode of my baby. I I look to see what the first story I'm going to do is. And then from there, I, you know, sometimes I have kind of an idea of what I want to talk about. Sometimes I know um, the longer... the longer stories. Um, I know what beats I want to hit. But really, I I just go by the seat of my pants, just like I do with my writing, because that's what works for me. I don't want to have to get approval, and I don't think you guys would want that either. And that's going to end today's rant, I promise. Uh, I just want to wish everyone a very happy Memorial Day. Um, There'll be another episode dropping soon. Until then, cheers.